For many people, the idea of knowing God kind of seems impossible. Like, if he or something exists, it's out there and distant and intangible, even too large or removed from us to really know what he or it is on any concrete level. I mean, at most, God is something we can maybe catch a glimpse of. But Jesus gave us a different picture, a picture of a heavenly father who knows us and who we can know personally and intimately. So let's talk about it together. Humans are not just physical beings. Humans are spiritual beings. We have an unlimited capacity to hope and love and dream and create. And for millennia, spiritual leaders and thinkers and philosophers have told us that those qualities emanate from something beyond us, either a, a vague universal life force around us and, and in us, or some type of deity or deities, something we can either like tap into and use to enhance our lives or something we need to fear and, and appease and submit to. But these ideas were challenged by a man named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed we're spiritual beings because we are created that way in order to live in a relationship of love with our Heavenly Father. According to Jesus, God is a person who wants us to know him personally. And I think we often take this for granted, the idea that we have a Heavenly Father who not only knows us personally, but who, can per who we can personally know. A Heavenly Father who loves us and, and whom we can truly love, whom we can experience in our lives, and with whom we can actually communicate. And then Jesus even took it further. He told us how we can do that. And he said if we followed him, we would truly know God. We discover who God really is when we practice the art of following Jesus. And he makes this startling claim right before he's arrested and executed. It's recorded for us in one of his closest follow by one of his closest followers, John. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will also or so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, Jesus is claiming that he embodies the ultimate revelation of God. And notice, he didn't say, I am a way, or a form of the truth, or a pattern of life. Jesus said that knowing him was the only path to truly knowing God. And then he goes even further. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Like crazy claims, right? That Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you have seen the heavenly Father. Now, all other major religious leaders have said that they were showing us the way to God or even a way to God or the gods or the spiritual force. 
Jesus said he was the God that gave us life and breath, that gave us the capacity to hope and dream and create and love. So why did anyone, why does anyone believe this craziness? Especially if he's like said all these things right before he's arrested and executed, which would probably prove he was kind of mistaken, wouldn't it? So why have billions of people for 2,000 years believed these crazy claims? Why do I believe these crazy claims? Because of another crazy thing he said. A few times, actually. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, meaning himself, will be betrayed to the, to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. And then, he did it. It's the whole reason John wrote Jesus' biography. Like, why write about someone who claimed to be God, said he would rise from the dead, and then didn't actually do it? So, if Jesus is what he said he is, the embodiment of God, then we know God by knowing Jesus. As pastor and author Brian Zond said, Jesus is the true and living word of God. Jesus is what the law and prophets point toward and bow to. Jesus is what the Old Testament was trying to say but could never fully articulate. Jesus is the perfect word of God in the form of a human life. God couldn't say all he wanted to say in the form of a book, so he said it in the form of Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. But to know Jesus, we have to be able to hear him in our silence, solitude, and prayer. But in those times, how do we recognize his voice? How do we know that what we hear is actually something he would say to us? We have to study him. See, we know God by studying Jesus. We have to become so familiar with him that we know him. We have to know what he was like, what he did, why he did it, what he said, why he said it. We have to know his story and have our stories aligned to his. We have to study Jesus. And the two best ways to do that are through the biblical writings and being with others who are studying him. And so first and foremost, we study the stories of Jesus' life. We deliberately train our minds in studying the beauty and the love and the hope he brought to everyone who encountered him. Why? So we can win Bible trivia games, if those even still exist. So we can impress God and others with, with how much we know. Listen, God will never be impressed with how much knowledge you have. In fact, as the Apostle Paul said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, the point of a life of personally knowing and being known by our Heavenly Father isn't about knowing something. It's about becoming something. If studying lets you know a lot about Jesus but doesn't change you to love like Jesus, it's worthless. We study to know Jesus so our minds can be renewed. So we can start seeing people the way he sees them. What is important to him becomes important to us. What is trivial and pointless to him becomes trivial, trivial and pointless to us. Like, for example, do you think Jesus is worried about who will win the World Series or the Super Bowl or even who will win the next presidential election? Those things might have some importance to us, but Jesus cares about his eternal plan to seek and save the lost. And when our minds are focused and bathed in the nature and will of God, our lives become about living out our true purpose, which is what we talked about last week, being fishers of people, of bringing the kingdom of God to the people in our lives. Embodying Jesus' love is our highest goal and the mark of true spiritual maturity. 
To become like Jesus, we need to study Jesus. We need to immerse our minds in his story. But not just the stories of his life. We need to study or we need to know why he did what he did, why he said what he said. We have to know his historical and cultural context, his place in God's story and God's plan for humanity. And so, yeah, we study the Jewish scriptures, which we call the Old Testament, for the context of Jesus. As Jesus himself said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. And we read the Christian scriptures, the New Testament, to see how Jesus' representatives taught how to live like Jesus in their first century Mediterranean context. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you, and he's talking to his disciples who wrote the New Testament, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. See, study allows us to see the world and our lives through his eyes. In fact, it's why we do these episodes that you're watching, why we teach these things at our in-person gatherings, why we study what we talk about here in our connect groups. It's to hopefully supplement your own personal study of Jesus, to help give tools and insights in how to study Jesus for yourself. Now, just acquiring knowledge without doing something about it isn't actually learning. So we study the biblical writings, but we also study each other. Through a word that has kind of come to mean a lot of things, especially in church circles. But it's something that has always been at the heart of following Jesus and knowing God. Fellowship. And fellowship in our context is not just hanging out. Fellowship is coming together to study and practice the art of following Jesus together. Where we can study the biblical writings together, but also practice other things we'll talk about in this series. Worship and, and prayer and, and service and celebration together. In fellowship, we study Jesus by learning from each other's experiences with Jesus and practicing what Jesus taught with each other. We practice living in the kingdom of God together. We use the gifts the Holy Spirit has given us to exemplify Jesus to each other so that we can each know and study him better. Consistently being with each other allows us to consistently love and strengthen each other. Now, if fellowship is a hard word to kind of wrap your mind around or, or even get behind, or maybe you're from your background, it's just like too churchy of a word, then just think about one of the greatest fellowships in the history of the world. Yeah, the Fellowship of the Ring, right? From Lord of the Rings? A group of diverse individuals drawing strength from each other for a common cause, for the good of the Middle Earth. Now, every teacher knows that we learn more by doing. So we study Jesus best when we are applying what we are studying together with a clear, shared purpose in view. And we best accomplish that purpose, being a light to the world, when we are together. Think about it. One stick can burn kind of by itself for a while if you light it on fire good enough. But you get a bunch of sticks together and you get fires that can light the darkest nights. And if you remove one stick from that fire, what happens? If you leave it on, it, on its own, it's just going to start smoldering and soon it'll die out. So how do we study Jesus on our own and together in such a way that it leads to an actual life change and not just accumulation of more facts? Well, here's my invitation to us. First, let's read the Gospels regularly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus' life. I'm not saying it has to be every day and you sit down with a quiet time. Not a bad thing, but I'm not saying that. Maybe it's just twice a week, but something regular for the purpose of studying and getting to know Jesus. 
And we read it like a book. Now, don't worry, don't think chapter and verse. Those were added way later. Think scenes and, and paragraphs, like you would read a real book. And if this is new to you of reading a gospel, just and you're like, which one should I pick? doesn't matter. Pick one and go. You'll have a lot of questions as you go. So write down those questions and explore them. Ask God those questions and write down the answers you, you hear him give you. And even I'm giving you permission to email me any questions you have, and we can walk through them together. Info at yourcrosscreek.com. And so as you're reading, ask other questions, such as what words stand out to me? Why did Jesus say this? Why did Jesus do this? What does this show me about, about God or about my role as a Jesus follower right now? And if you haven't yet, maybe start adding that to reading the rest of the biblical writings. And maybe reading the Bible seems really daunting. Well, we have resources for you. We have some starting points. In fact, check out our series on how to read the Bible and check out the show notes in that series. So read the Gospels regularly and then commit to consistently practicing fellowship. In our, what, if you're a cross-street person, in our gatherings. Our gatherings, our in-person gatherings, are a training ground designed to be a safe and welcoming place for people to discover God's love for them. Commit to a connect group where you will see how others are living in the kingdom of God in their lives, and you can learn from each other. Maybe join an alliance with somebody else. Say, hey, do you want to read the story of Jesus with me? Two birds, one stone. And then ask those questions we talked about. Not just so we can become better people and be, and be nice people and be really good. And, and not so we can know a lot and be able to argue with people. We study Jesus on our own and together so we can make our king's purpose and life our purpose in life. Bringing the kingdom of God to the people in our lives. We can't follow someone we don't hear or see. And so we hear Jesus as we practice solitude, silence, and prayer. And we see him as we observe his life in the Gospels, as we observe his early followers in the New Testament, and as we fellowship and watch those who follow him now. Look, God is not an unknowable force. He's not some distant and disinterested deity. He is our Heavenly Father who purposely created each of us personally. He knows us. He loves us. He has a purpose for your life and a purpose for our lives together. He wants us to know him and enjoy him now and forever. And through us, invites those in our lives to do the same. The art of following Jesus is the art of knowing and experiencing God in our lives now. Thanks for joining us online for this content put out by Cross Creek Community Church, whether it's on the podcast, uh, YouTube, or you got to us via our website. We appreciate you. Let us know you're watching by commenting on the video in YouTube, or you can send us an email at info at yourcrosscreek.com. We also have a welcome form on our webpage, which is super easy to fill out. And uh, there's a free gift involved if you're interested in starting a conversation with us. It's just a fun way for us to get to know you and say hello. We have uh, in-person services on Sundays at 4.30 p.m. in South Salem. Our location and a map and all that good stuff's on our website. So feel free to check that out. You can also follow us on social media for updates and encouragement throughout your week. 
If you decide to try any of these practices in this series, we'd love to hear about it. We'd love to hear about your experiences, how it's going for you, and just have a conversation with you about it. So send us an email or use that welcome forum to interact with us. We have small groups that meet weekly that you can join if you're interested in that. And we also have a middle school and high school connect group that meet on the first and third Sundays of every month. More information on our website as usual. Thanks for donating. If you are consider Cross Creek your church, uh, we really appreciate your uh, regular giving. There is a portal on our website that's secure and we are a 501c3. So it's a tax deductible gift um, and it keeps a good thing going. So thanks for that. We will see you next week. Thank you.